Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control, Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Today, we are diving back through the decades. We're exploring an historic mystery. Uh, Originally, peek behind the curtain, we became fascinated with a strange tale of modern Americana, which will mentioned along the way here uh for decades it seems an unknown individual individuals probably would show up at a certain cemetery in baltimore to toast a grave but as we journeyed down that rabbit hole we became enamored of something else a far stranger story the story about how that grave came to be in the first place today's episode which is rife with conspiracy, is about the death of Edgar Allan Poe. Here are the facts. I mean, I don't know how much time we need to spend on it, but most people know Edgar Allan Poe is, right? Or is it just Americans who know? Like, if we have someone listening in Australia, they know Edgar Allan Poe is. I think think probably the broad strokes, the raven and whatnot, perhaps the telltale heart, but maybe not the deeper cuts, like the cask of Amontillado and uh, uh, what, Mask of the Red Death. Yeah. Rue Morgue was always one of my favorites. That one's got a cool twist. Yeah, it's why uh, Rue Morgue is why he's credited with inventing the detective genre. Mm -hmm. Not the story, the whole idea of detectives. Uh, He also wrote a really, there's a really creepy story about him and uh, Arthur Gordon Pym. It's a story about a very unfortunate series of events 
talking cannibalism, mutiny, shipwrecks. Uh, it's the only complete novel Poe ever wrote. And apparent, I remember reading years and years and years ago that it had eerie similarities to a real-life incident that occurred, even unto the names. But the problem was the, uh, that Poe could not have known about it when he was writing the book. So that's spooky. That's a different story. Uh, we do want to tell you, though, if you haven't heard of Edgar Allan Poe, he's best known as sort of a, a king of creepy writing. He was a poet. He was novelist, a literary critic. He wrote a lot more than horror, but he's associated with gothic horror. Most of all, uh, shout out to The Simpsons, Treehouse of Horror, who did a lot for Poe's legacy when they had their send-up of The Raven or their adaptation of The Raven. Anyway. I don't know how Edgar Allan Poe would have felt about this. If he didn't like it, he would have thought it was par for the course because this man did not have a good life. Not really at all. No, definitely not. Had some serious demons, which uh, likely was the kind of inspiration for a lot of his super creepy kind of nihilistic writings. Well, yeah, you have to imagine if, if you come into the world and within the first two years of your life, your father abandons your family and then your mother dies and you get shipped off to go live with somebody else. You know, you, you can argue like his mind is still developing. He doesn't even have uh, certain attachments to mother and father at that time. But you can also argue some of the most important attachment occurs in that zero to two years. So sure. it's, it's like it just depends the type of attachment to other humans and he wasn't able to make those early childhood attachments. He did have the skin-to-skin -skin contact thing. Or uh, he got that, but then he lost it, right? As yeah, soon as he got yeah. it. Yeah, because he's born on January 19th, 1809 in Boston to traveling actors, and his mother dies in 1811. Uh, he gets raised by a merchant in Richmond named John Allen, spelled the same way, probably his godfather. Uh, and I like the mention of demons, because we're going to interrogate that too. Uh, and his godfather has basically adopted him, sends him off to Scotland and England, where he gets what's called a classical education, Latin, you know, learning Greek, uh, reading the old philosophers, learning about art and so on. He lives in that area from 1815 to 1820, and then he goes back to Richmond most of his early, most of his life actually is him going back and forth from Richmond to other places. Uh, he's at University of Virginia for about eleven months, and then his guardian, his adoptive father, gets kind of pissed at him because uh, Edgar decides that he likes gambling, and he gets really into gambling with his U of V bros, and his dad bails him out a couple times, but then cuts him off and says, I'm not going to keep, why am I going to keep paying for this if you're just gambling more than you are studying? Fair point. So he goes home to Richmond. He says, you know what? I'm going to be a family man. I'm going to marry my childhood sweetheart, Elmira Royster, also called Sarah, I think, uh, only to find that she has become engaged to someone else. Real kick in the pants. Uh, so he goes to Boston. Boston isn't super great to him, but it is where he publishes his first work, a collection of poems called Tamer Lane and other poems. Don't feel bad if you haven't heard about it. A lot of people didn't then or now. 
I haven't read it. I'm just going to confess. I have not read. I may have read Tamerlane maybe, but I didn't read the rest of it. And, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, biographical resources to, to you know, dig a little deeper into this uh, pretty tragic existence uh, that Edgar Allan Poe endured. Um, so, you know, feel free to do some extra reading on your own. Um, he did come from, uh, you know, to some degree, a connected family. He had some nepotism that got him into West Point, but maybe in some kind of early manifestations of those demons, he flunked. Uh, he. He, you know, had a bit of a proclivity for the drink. He bummed around New York City a lot, which, and as you uh, point out, it's really something that is, is a good way to kind of find yourself. Anyone should, everyone should have a chance to, you know, bum around New York a little bit. And just quickly talking about the nepotism, it was John Allen, again, his godfather, that has been helping him out his whole life. He, he was... Uh, Edgar Allan Poe went into the military for a little bit and was stationed, like, internally within the U.S. during that part of his life. And he was like, man, I need to get out of this dude. Send me to West Point, please. Like, get me in. I'll do anything. Just get me into West Point. And, you know, as soon as he gets in, he's like, uh, <laughs> I West don't like Point. it. So he, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. go to the drills or anything. He intentionally fails out. Also the uh, proclivity for drink, just like the idea of having some demons. Very interesting to reference that. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just to add to um, that that era of his life where he was in West Point is uh, highly dramatized in the Netflix film uh, Pale Blue Eye, where um, a, a you know kind of detective character, another troubled person uh, played by Christian Bale, meets a young Edgar Allan Poe and gets wrapped up in a somewhat of a murder mystery with some occult uh, overtones. It's not a great film, but it's, it's interesting. And the guy that plays uh, Poe does a pretty cool job, in my opinion. That kind of chewing that scenery—that's right. <laughs> that voice is a little hard to place, man. It's that 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 like old old world Baltimore accent. It's bordering on a British accent. Uh, it's very also reminds me of that kind of Boston accent that um, uh, what's his name um. Uh, Crispin Glover does in in the episode of uh, of uh, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosity. That's a uh, Pickman's model, I believe. Uh, it's borderline distracting, it's but based I, on a Lovecraft uh, yeah, story. Based on a Lovecraft story, yeah. But but Poe did spend quite a lot of time as a young person, as a, a kid growing up in England, as we said, with John Allen. So well, I, I think I, that's just the nature of that era, right? Like a lot, like you know, the early immigrants, I guess, or folks that are like hearing different accents and it sort of becomes this like regional thing that is pulling a lot from the sound of like an English accent. For sure. You're, you're, you're dead on map. Appalachia still has, you, you know, it's weird if you want to hear uh, the older accents until about oh, the 1970s or 80s, you could go into isolated hollers and hills of Appalachia and what people the way people spoke would have a pretty uncanny resemblance to old English accents. Uh, and it's a trip for people, but yeah, it's some, because he is also from Virginia where he spends a lot of time. He has one of those accents that feels weirdly deep South, but can be difficult to place. Uh, he, he wants to be a guy of letters. He wants to be a literary figure. He finally gets paid to write in Baltimore. He wins 50 bucks from a newspaper in a contest. He is, he gets a job in the literary community in 1835. He's editing a thing called Richmond's Southern Literary Messenger. Uh, he does marry his cousin, 
when she is 13. Her name is Virginia Klim. They remain um, they remain legally married until she passes away. Uh, but that marriage is a whole other bag of badgers. And I've been peppering in some hints at conspiracy here. So this is one more. As we'll see, there's evidence that he did this not out of romantic inclination. While his life continued to just suck terribly at all these various points, uh, he continually wrote a ton of stuff. And his big moment comes January 29th, just 10 days after his birthday in 1845. He gains national fame with the Raven. And would he attain that kind of fame with a single work again? Quoth the Raven, nevermore. <laughs> uh, he did, he actually, it's funny because uh, he wrote... A lot of people made money off the Raven, and he was no different. He didn't make as much money as he probably should have, but he would talk about the Raven. He's published these essays where he tried to portray the creation of this poem as though it were the assembly, uh, as though he were an engineer, right? And you, it, and it sounds so pretentious. I've. <laughs> Just be honest. It sounds so pretentious because there are parts where he's he's talking. You can see uh, written versions of this too, where he's thinking. And in the spirit of all oh, great poets, of course, I mechanically wanted a a refrain, a return, something with a resonant sound. Uh, through the pantheon of vowels, of course, there was the O, and so I landed on nevermore. <laughs> it's really, like, really, it's really interesting. Do? No, yeah, you're right, but it's really interesting because that's the kind of thing that I would eat up if it was somebody like teaching a class about it, but not if it was a smell my own farts kind of situation. And that's mm -hmm. how I made the miracle <laughs> of the raven. Uh, if if you don't mind, guys, really quickly, I just want to jump back to something that we just spoke about. He won $50, right, for publishing something. Just to give context, because in my mind, you think $50, what the hell? That, that's what he got for winning that thing? Why is that even a footnote in his life? If you do the inflation calculator, $50 in 1833 is worth $1,805 today. So that's a nice little prize money for some writing, right? Mm -hmm. $50 is still a lot for a poet today. <laughs> Just going to point that out as a guy who has books of poetry. Well, I mean, remember, y'all, we were uh, bouncing around uh, in L.A., like in Manhattan Beach and Venice Beach area. We saw a lot of uh, poem kind of stands, you know, on the street. And I don't think they were charging 50 bucks. So uh, I would say 50 <laughs> is, uh, is quite a good deal I wonder for if the poet. Would. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they would. I mean, that's that's a, a fun thing to do but also it's probably really demanding but it's a good it's a good exercise uh I've, I've never personally done it maybe we maybe we could try it i don't know uh but we know that yeah we know that poe was making a living he wasn't making the most fantastic living but he did have a job he was getting by on october 3rd 1849 there's a guy named joseph w walker who's going to a busy public house. A public house is a bar, basically. It's called Gunner's Hall. It's election day for the local sheriff, and Gunner's Hall is busy because, like so many places, it, uh, it is functioning as a pop-up polling place. So people are showing up there to vote, which doesn't happen in the U.S. anymore. Now it's got to be like libraries and churches, right? Can you imagine people trying to vote at the local? 
<laughs> oh boy. That sounds fun. You're foreshadowing again, Ben. You're foreshadowing again. <laughs> foreshadowing a bit. Yes, sir. So uh, what happens when Walker arrives at Gunner's Hall? Well, uh, Joseph W. Walker noticed something strange, something you wouldn't normally see. Well, I guess you wouldn't normally see. He saw a, a shoddily dressed man laying in a gutter. And he thought to himself, oh, geez, you know, well, we don't know what he thought. But that's that's unfortunate, right? Um, the other thing is the person was like, I don't know. I, how would you put it, guys? He was in and out of consciousness. It was right. like he was, um, he was calling out for somebody. He was, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but like almost as though, and I don't want to put too much spin on it, but almost as though something is wrong with his ability to move. Right, like e an ether high or mm -hmm. something, or maybe um, maybe a disassociative state of some sort, or maybe an excess of drug consumption, whether that be alcohol or opiates, something like that. Uh, Walker is approaching Gunner's Hall, and he says, holy shit, that's Edgar, Alan Poe. And this was unusual because Poe was not supposed to be in Baltimore at all. He had left Richmond, like left Richmond heading for Philadelphia five days earlier, September 27th. And ever since then, no one had any idea where he'd been. So Walker picture him shaking pose, you know, my good man, does uh, do you know of anyone nearby who could provide assistance? And Poe's eventually able to give him a name, which sounds so made up. Uh, eventually Poe is able to kind of like semi-coherently mutter Joseph E. Snodgrass, who was a local magazine editor with some medical experience. And a fabulous last name. And Ben, I have to point out this detail that you found in the accounts of this. Uh, the description of his clothing as being a stained, faded, only because these, these old-timey terms give me joy, a stained, faded, old bombazine coat, pantaloons of a similar character, a pair of worn-out shoes run down at the heels, and an old straw hat. A bombazine coat is like... Um, a thick, dark material made from wool mixed with cotton. So picture like Victorian morning clothes. Got it. Almost like a pea coat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so. Yeah, that's what I think of too. Um, so yeah, he's dressed weird. And this next part sounds really strange. So we had to look in a couple, uh, multiple places to verify this. But this is the era before cell phones. The guy says, hey, is there anybody nearby who can help you? Because can't stay at my house basically, was the implication. Walker wrote a letter to this guy, Snodgrass, asking for help. So apparently he thought Poe had just fallen down on his heels, you know, and become itinerant or something like that. Uh, Poe is carted off to an area of Washington College Hospital where there are bars on the windows. It's, it's restricted from the rest of the hospital. It's tougher to visit there. Uh, and it's for people who are suffering from really messed up situations, maybe mental instability, maybe um, maybe it's a drunk tank. It's any and all of the above. Poe never recovers from this state. He's always in the state Matt just described. He's in there for several days. He's hallucinating. He's in and out of consciousness. And the only consistent thing, according to his doctor at least, is that he keeps yelling the name Reynolds. Sometimes he's muttering it. Sometimes he's shouting it. Uh, by 5 a.m. on October 7th, he raises up, screams, and he's dead. 
Jeez. Yeah. That's nuts. I, mean, I wonder if yeah, the Always that, Sunny folks named those characters after that. <laughs> he just knew he was so excited about the Always Sunny adaptation or creation centuries from now. It was his greatest work. It was stolen. Yeah. Maybe. He's, maybe. He time traveled, watched some episodes of Always Sunny, and he was just thinking about Frank and Dee and Dennis the whole time. I did not picture them showing up, but I'm <laughs> glad they made it. It's his death certificate apparently lists uh, the cause of his demise as something called phrenitis, swelling of the brain. Maybe. As we'll see, the doctor, John Joseph Moran, was not super reliable. And to this day, absolutely no one knows what the f*** happened. Except maybe us by the end of this show. We'll see. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. It's true. 
No one, no one really knows how he died. No, he's one of the no. most famous, and no one knows. We've certainly got some uh, some possibilities, though. Um, as you mentioned, Ben, this is the guy who, uh, for all intents and purposes, no, for yeah, for every intent and every purpose, invented the detective novel. Um, he himself was a mystery and left a uh, mystery for history to unravel. Uh, nearly two hundred years later, uh, we've got a handful of theories, some more credulous than others, um, but no, like you said, Ben, no definitive answer or proof as to what happened. Um, You know, a a lot of what we know, what we should first start with this note, that uh, a lot of the information out there about Edgar Allan Poe is is actually what you might consider libelous. You know, Um, a lot of this stuff was put out by detractors of his. He didn't, he was not uh, one who was particularly good at making friends and one in particular um, story you hear all the time, a less talented this, that or the other, someone who covets what someone has, a less talented writer uh, who used to be Poe's friend, a guy named Rufus Wilmot Griswold uh, was putting a lot of this stuff out into the world. You know, he was a um, real hater, man. Mm-hmm. He was a real piece of trash. Reputation yeah. destroying kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the, um, he had, I believe they originally got beefed up because he had included the rave. No, he had included a poem of Poe's in one of his anthologies. He was an anthologist. And uh, this, this, the whole thing sparked off when Poe published a critical response that he that Griswold felt was talking trash about his anthology, of which Poe was a part. And so he went crazy far with it. He couldn't get revenge while Poe was alive. He would talk trash to anybody about Poe while Poe was alive. Uh, and when Edgar Allan Poe passed away, this guy wrote the official obituary under a kind of cowardly pseudonym, Ludwig, and it's nothing but a hit piece. And then he claimed, he kind of took advantage of Poe's mother-in-law and claimed to be Poe's literary executor. He wrote the first full biography of Poe, and it is entire, it is one of the hugest reasons people believe that he had a, uh, a kind of like, a struggle with alcohol or a struggle with drugs. It's one of the huge reasons he did have a struggle with alcohol, but it's very different from actual alcoholism. And then uh, he's the reason people believe that the guy was a huge fan of incest. Uh, he said he was a plagiarist. He intimated that Poe was uh, going to participate in the overthrow of the United States. He was just adding in all kinds of weird well, and we know that when things like that get out there, it's a lot harder to put that back in the bottle, you know, put those badgers back in the bag or, or, or genie back in the bottle, whichever metaphor you prefer, because the salacious details are often the ones that are the most repeated, you know, and we know Poe was a weird cat, you know, we, I mean, read his stuff, it's the, the truth, I mean, the, the work speaks for itself. He obviously had, you know, a proclivity toward darkness. So it's easy to kind of believe that he was some sort of ether-soaked, alcoholic pederast. It's it's weird to for me, guys, because uh, uh, kind of the observation we've already made about Edgar Allan Poe, like, maybe a little bit enjoying the smell of his own farts, tiny bit, just when he's talking about creating, you know, the raven, as we discussed earlier. 
that seems to be one of the primary things that this Rufus character didn't like about Poe, right? Because you could go to, uh, it's Boston Public Library's website, uh, bpl.org, read some writing by Kim Reynolds, another Reynolds, uh, and she talks about some of the intricacies there of that relationship. And it is funny because it's like, it is just two guys who are like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he doesn't seem to be have been um, a people person necessarily, you know, so he wasn't one of like he was one of those folks who doesn't function at the top of American society because he is a genius and he's very talented, but he's not he's not kissing ass. He's not networking. He doesn't tolerate kind of the the credit thievery that you're you're so, sort of supposed to put up with in in American society to advance socially, right? From science papers on down. So he also, it's funny though, because you're right. This seems that the pettiness was turned up to 11. And Griswold, now that Poe cannot defend himself, is just going to town and dancing on the grave. I, I remember one of my old professors really, uh, really put this in perspective when she was talking to us about how Griswold took possession of Poe's papers, right? Which are handwritten at this time. And he would literally go through them to try to prove his point. Like there's a, there's some passage and I'm paraphrasing here where Poe is writing, I am marrying Virginia to save her from another man to like keep her out of an unhappy romantic Marriage, so like marriage is just a parking space he's taking. He says, I do not desire her sexually. And this Griswold guy would scratch out not, and then he would publish it with Poe saying, I do dot 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 desire her sexually. Wow. Yeah. Because that's that's one of the big things that you always hear is that he had like this child bride, you know, who was the um the well, subject of oh, no, I, I know he did. But 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 I'm saying <laughs> But, but but what I'm saying is when it's repeated, it's kind of repeated in this like as if he was some sort of you know sexual predator, and and and, and you know and based on what we're what we're discussing here, that wasn't necessarily no, that wasn't the case. Well, we still, I mean, that's the thing too. We still we still don't know because this all came out like you said. The lurid headlines spread much more quickly. Right, a lie is around the world twice before the truth gets up in the morning, you know? Uh, this, so it does seem that there are some, at the very least, there are very serious questions about whether or not Poe deserved this image. And it seems that someone defamed his character just very well and very efficiently. And we have to remember that when we talk about the theories surrounding his death. There's already one layer of conspiracy at play. 100%. And it didn't help that Virginia Clem was his cousin. And was 13. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't help. Let's, uh, okay, let's go to the theory. So one of the first and for a long time the most popular is alcohol. People said, okay, Edgar Allan Poe drank himself to death. Oh, I read that first biography that came out. Also, Griswold lectured on this. He made money talking about it. Uh, so they they believed what they heard, that this guy had just drank himself into the grave. If we go to Chris Sempner, the curator of the Poe Museum in Richmond for quite some time, we'll see, he puts it this way. A lot of the ideas that have come up over the years have centered around the fact that Poe couldn't handle alcohol. 
it had been documented apparently multiple times since me here that after a glass of wine, he was staggering drunk. His sister had the same problem. It seemed to be something hereditary. So it wasn't like he was, who was that other guy? John Updike level booze hound, like just downing fifths of uh, vodka or what? Oh, right. We're an audio podcast. I don't know. I'm raising my hands as though like this is what people down vodka like, but it looks more like an awkward club dance. It wasn't that he was drinking an unusual anomalous amount. Apparently he had some genetic quirk, some kind of allergy that made him incapable of handling alcohol. So drinking any at all really knocked him on his ass. It's such a weird thing to me because anybody who's good at hiding how much they drink, and we've met several of them over our years, he could be having one drink in public, but that's not all he's drinking, right? So it's just so tough for me when you're looking back at at history in this way that isn't documented that well, the way we kind of have to just go on faith to, uh, to some degree about what we choose, the version of events or reality that we choose to see. Mm. So if, yeah, I mean, and that's a good point. There are all these, these questions that remain, but we have to look at the problems with the theory, you know? Uh, okay. If he drank himself to death, could that explain how he disappeared for five days and then showed up in a totally different city in totally different clothes that weren't his own? Like, I don't know how Probably long those not. benders last, right? Is that, could somebody drink so much that they're gone for a week and then they're If you're a on a city? train, right? Or if you're trying to get oh, on yeah, a train, yeah. you get on a See? train and now you're in a different place and now you're trying to get somewhere else. It, I don't know. It could be a, that sounds like a movie plot to me. Mm, here's another issue. I mean, I did get drunk and one day wake up on a landing on a plane to Chile. So that's. Yeah, mistakes well. were made, um, but that was in the course of 24 hours. But the uh, the the other thing that we should mention to that point we're talking about with de- defamation, uh, Snodgrass, that magazine editor, who finally, after a week, replies to uh, to the appeal for help. Snodgrass wasn't just a magazine editor in Baltimore; he was a incredibly vocal member of the temperance movement. And he, like so many other people, made bank off Poe dying. So he got on the lecture circuit and he traveled around speaking at temperance events, assuring people that alcohol led to Poe's death because it helped his narrative. And so the weird thing is, I think we talked about this a little bit. In 2006, someone conducted hair test on Poe. They still had, because, you know, this back in the time where it was normal and not creepy to give people locks of your hair. Have you guys ever done that? Did you ever give someone a lock of your hair? (laughs) (laughs) Noel's face responded to that. That was great. I remember the first time we got a Manscaped sponsorship. (laughs) No, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I I don't no judgment, you know. I know people keep it to commemorate important things, but I don't I just I feel anyway, this was historical hair, so maybe it's a little different. Uh they conducted these hair tests and it seems that Poe had kept it, it caused them to think that Poe had 
kept a vow of sobriety for some time, long enough for it to affect, you know, the levels of chemicals you would find in his hair. Of course, this being the 1800s, uh, as we'll see, the level of uh, mercury and heavy metals were much higher for everybody, basically. Uh, so the he seemed that it seemed that he would have been maintained sobriety up to the time of his death unless he was drugged and or forced to drink. And let's go to the second theory where, Noel, you alluded to something that I think is a very plausible theory, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, the This is something we've talked about, I think, probably on this show as well, but certainly on Ridiculous History, the idea of uh, election rigging, let's just call it, right? I mean, let's call it what it is. Uh, various forms of it, stuffing ballot boxes, you know, uh, intimidation uh, of voters, you know, asking people to like forcing people perhaps at gunpoint or, you know, club point, I guess, to vote multiple times before it was, you know, a lot harder to commit that level of voter fraud. But there was a practice uh, in the 19th century wherein gangs uh, of folks, you know, associated with a certain political campaign, um, likely for pay, uh, would round people up and ply them with booze, like literally force them to drink. Right. Um, in, in order to uh, kind of loosen them up a little bit and then have them vote, vote multiple times while also uh, this is kind of silly sounding, but it's really messed up. If you think about someone that's been uh, essentially drugged and then forced to wear various disguises and then going back to the, the ballot box, you know, under the guise of, of a new person, of a new identity. In Baltimore in particular, this was a huge problem. Well, what did we talk about was going on at the place where Poe was found? Voting for the sheriff. Mm. So this, there's also the argument that Gunner's Hall in particular was a hotbed of this activity. And like you said, Nolan's super common in Baltimore. The fact that Poe was found delirious on election day, then it starts to look like we're, we're making a lunchable stack of coincidence. Right. Yeah. I, I really love the fact that you point out something that I wasn't aware of. And I'm interested in, in seeing maybe where there's some corroborating sources on this. We know that that's a little bit tricky sometimes for Poe. Uh, this condition that he may have had uh, that, that was hereditary, potentially, that would have caused him to become much more intoxicated than the amount of alcohol he consumed might have led one to become um, and in a situation where, you know, folks are literally forcing you under duress to drink too much that could easily result in, in an overdose death. Sure. Yeah. And you know, we're not, we're not doctors. Um, we do know without disclosing too much, we do know some people in, in our lives who have some sort of alcohol allergy, you know, and thank goodness, you know, nowadays in the U S you are hopefully not going to be in a situation where someone forces you to drink if you don't want to or force tries to force you to do any kind of substance you don't want to do. Uh, if you were in that situation, as sanctimonious as it might sound, just remove yourself from it because anybody's trying to push you in that direction, they're, they don't have your best interest at heart. No, no, it's it's a bit. They're either after something nefarious. They're trying to manipulate you or it's just a product of their own insecurity and they don't want to like be the only one getting messed up. It's 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 not for your benefit. Right. Right. And uh, so and 
And hey, if you're afraid, uh, if you've got FOMO of missing out, I guarantee you some of the best house parties I've ever been to are when I was the DD. Because when I was driving folks home, that's when it all, that's when it all came out. Some of it being puke, but you know, live and learn. So this is a pretty plausible theory. The idea that he was somehow gang, press ganged into these voting schemes, which were very common in the day, distressingly so. And there's another theory, which is also sadly plausible. So he's got swelling of the brain, right? That's the medical diagnosis. What if someone just beat the crap out of him? Because he definitely, again, was not great with people. He seems like the kind of guy who who might chewed his mouth off to the wrong person. Could rub somebody the wrong way, even yeah. just by like being a little too flowery with his prose. Like, what is this guy talking about? Let's kick his ass. Also, you know, even uh, if, if he was, you know, I mean, this is really sad to even think about, but these kind of roving gangs of ne'er-do-wells that would have been associated with these cooping schemes, uh, they're the kinds of folks that would just kick the crap out of a homeless person. That might have just been passed out drunk on the street. If you remember the scene in A Clockwork Orange where there's like a a kind of like a, you know, an unhoused fellow that Alex and his, you know, droogs beat the crap out of just for fun. That's real. People do that. Mm -hmm. The old ultra violence. Yeah. Uh, It's quite possible that he was beaten to the point where he received a traumatic brain injury and died as a result. That's another reason why. Most of the people you know who are who have experience in martial arts or professional fighting will do everything they can to stay out of a physical altercation because it's very easy to accidentally get someone in a situation where they hit their head with permanent and or fatal damage. Heads are fragile, man. So, you know, to your point, somebody walking by, even if something already happened to him, even if he got cooped and he's laying there and somebody just walks by and kicks him in the head for fun, that could cause that brain swelling. Or take a nasty fall. Mm-hmm. Or just slip, just had a slip and slide. Quite possible because it's cold and rainy in Baltimore at this time. This theory, the beating theory, first gets traction and this is according to Edgar Allan Poe Society of Baltimore, which collects a lot of Poe papers. It first uh, first gains prominence when another biographer named E. Oaks Smith claims in 1972 that she has the scoop. She says Poe was talking to some lady basically at the bar who considered herself insulted by him. Get away from me, creep. And that... He was uh, beaten then by a guy who was trying to uh, try trying to save the woman's honor or something like that, and that that caused a brain fever. There's another version where Poe runs into his buddies from West Point, from his short time at West Point, where he refused to do anything. Uh, and that they said, oh, man, Ed, it's so great to see you, bro. Are you still writing poems? Well, that's what's up. Hey, come have a drink with us. I know, We know how you get, man. Crazy Eddie. Just have a glass of champagne. And then he had one glass of champagne and it got him 58 sheets to the wind. Went straight to his head. <laughs> Went straight to his. Yeah, that's what they say with champagne, right? Went straight to his head. And then 
he just wandered around the streets of Baltimore like a lunatic till someone robbed him and beat him senseless. I, but when I see those from those reports and like the, you know, in the late 1800s, there's not a ton of firsthand evidence, right? The closest we could get is the biographers saying this, and we don't necessarily know who they spoke to. We don't have that necessarily showing up in a ton of other places. Um, and you see, that's the case for a lot of things we have for many years because people didn't have the same um, technology to bring to bear on this. You couldn't test for substances and hair and so on. So people were doing the best they could, just like detectives in detective novels. They were trying to solve the crime with a minimum amount of clues. And that's why we have a lot of theories that were popular for a while that are kind of discredited now. So, Ben, there was a point that you made earlier about hair tests uh, in 2006, right? Mm-hmm. Um, showing that, that you know, Poe was largely sober, right? Yeah, that's the that's the argument. So the study was funded by Alliance Atlantis, an outfit out of uh, Toronto, and they were producing a series called Dead Man's Tales that was going to go on the Discovery Channel, Discovery Health. So they had legit folks out of D.C., test these samples, and most of what they were finding uh, regarded heavy metals. But it appears that the hair test itself showed that, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't a raging booze hound either. And the heavy metal thing is interesting because I believe all of those levels were within limits that would not have been life-threatening. And we know, you know, uh, back in those days, there were heavy metals that were used in manufacturing processes that were, you know, kind of people were just exposed to them a little more often, like felt and hats and stuff like that. Yeah. That's one of the Mercury, rather. Mercury being used to treat felt and hats. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the um, theories that was in the running for a while was heavy metal poisoning. And it's kind of sad to look back, especially that hair test, and realize that Poe had highly elevated levels of certain heavy metals, but so did everyone else. You know, arsenic, mercury, you name it. The thing is, in in mercury in particular, Poe uh, did not have the levels that would be associated with mercury poisoning. He just had too much mercury. But wasn't that a thing, though? I mean, the whole expression mad as a hatter, like yes, it would kill is. you, but it would maybe make you a little off, right? Yes. Yeah, that is true. That was part of it's part of the the danger. And then other people, you know, they were again, they were working with limited information. It's not a ding on them. There were people who say maybe he had carbon monoxide poisoning because that's dangerous. And they used coal gas to light things indoors. This doesn't seem likely for some pretty basic reasons, right? Everybody else is in the room. The nobody else is outside the uh, semi-conscious, right? What was he just huffing the lamp? Was he like, "Hey guys, I don't really drink, but let me snarf on this. I like to party." I doubt it. I just have a question. Like, I really did believe that you know that Poe was some kind of opioid, you know, opium addicted alcoholic. 
And I, and I, I understand why now. It's because of a lot of these accounts, you know, from, from this Ludwig fellow. But he was not at all. He didn't dabble in any kinds of drugs. or And then the alcohol stuff really is just kind of this is the information we have. Well, we have to be careful with the um, with our sources too, because the Edgar Allan Poe Society of Baltimore, which has amassed many many of these papers, they might have a horse in the race. You know what I mean? But according to the correspondence that we can see, he tried laudanum under the advice of a doctor, in like a couple of like one or two isolated incidents, and he didn't vibe with it. Apparently, I, I think maybe uh, I guess a lot of I, I guess it makes sense, though, because we think of writers of that time doing just on the stuff. Right. You know? And yeah. writing poetry, especially. So um, I feel like such a sucker. This is really important and educational for me. And I'm sure some listeners out there were in the same boat. Um, thanks for digging all this stuff up. Ben. we have to be honest, though, because we may be falling into the grips of apologist. Oof. Oof, that was a rough one. Get it? I Apologist? It. I'm here for it. Apologist? Oh, yeah. Now, no, I, I got it. <laughs> now it just sounds like a weird accent. All right. But but yeah, so that original conspiracy distorts stuff. Then another discredited thing is the flu. Poe hadn't been feeling well, right? So he, like, we know he went to a doctor before he left for Richmond. Yeah. Uh, well, at least according to what we know about his wife's statements, at the time, he he was um, he had the clear signs of somebody with a flu. He had a weak pulse, right? It, at least if when she was feeling him and he was around her before he left, and also he had a fever. I mean, that's pretty clear. If you're super warm to the touch, you might uh, just needed more cowbell that out. You know, that's it. That fever, yeah, that is it. But then you're I traveling. Really Everybody knows when you've got the flu, you need to get in bed asap. That's it. Uh, well, I mean, not only because you're going to get everybody else sick, you get everybody else the flu. <laughs> Come on now. You can't, you can't again, be traveling in the rain. Uh, you, you picture Poe as this weedy, pale, little sickly man. That's how he's depicted, you know, in, 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 in illustrations and, you know, as just being, I mean, he was, you know, uh, a, a sort of prone to ill health, wasn't he? Is, isn't that, is, is that not true either? I just, I just don't know what to believe. Well, you got to look at the daguerreotype. You got to look at the daguerreotypes. It's all about the daguerreotypes. What we need is a law and order spinoff. Let's get some propaganda set in the 1800s and have them investigate these weird deaths. Uh, we also need to take an ad break, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, but well, let's say at least the doctor told him, hey, maybe don't travel with the flu, pal. Yeah, yeah. And I was laughing, too, because I thought you said, you know what you got to do? I thought you were about to say, you know what you got to do when you get the get the flu? You got to hop on the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to hit the road. The yeah. train to Wellsville, baby. And yeah. ride it till 2 a.m. in the morning when you ride. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I don't want anything from the sandwich cart, but please come closer. I'd like to cough on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but the doctor told him not to go. He could have gotten super sick. Uh, from that travel, from the weather, from the temperatures out there and all the other things could have caught something else on top of the flu while traveling with all those people. That could be it, right? You can get hallucinations from that stuff, being in that fugue state we talked about. No question. You can get hallucinations from just being dehydrated, you know? I mean, no question. Like, I mean, you hear about people being in the desert or whatever and being dehydrated and sun-worn and then having, like, all kinds of visions and- 
all of that. So and there's no question. There's certain things that could cause you to fit to actually see things that aren't there. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's call that theory, though, the flu theory, a bit of a long shot and take a look at a few other things after a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Uh, we've mentioned the idea of swelling of the brain in the unfortunate case of the passing, the demise of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, we have talked about how that could have been the result of him receiving a, a vicious beating. But what if it wasn't a beating or a drugging, you know, or, a, you know, um, a sensitive system reacting poorly to too much alcohol? What if it was something else, a more sinister laying in wait? Well, a ticking time bomb of cancer. You know, uh, we, we know that sometime before his final trip, another physician had diagnosed him at one point with, quote, lesions on the brain. Of course, this is before the days of MRIs and CAT scans and so on, so they can't see into the brain. And I guess unless they conduct a trepanation, right? 
which is drilling the little little hole, little hidey hole in the back. Uh, people can survive it, but he he did not have that operation. <laughs> There's a weird thing that happens. Like a lot of writers, he becomes famous after his death. He's posthumously appreciated. Fast forward 26 years after he's buried, the town says, we decided that we like him. <laughs> we are going to put a statue of him in the graveyard. Uh, and we're going to also exhume his remains and move them closer. Because he was buried in a not great part of the graveyard. You know, now that he's not around all the time, weirding up the joint, you know, uh, (laughs) we'll we'll remember him fondly. A little revisionist history there. Yeah. Now that we just have to deal with the idea of him instead of the actual person, he's aces. So the problem is decay is a brutal, constant beast. So his coffin's very fragile. As people are trying to move it, the story goes, it fell apart. It coffin flopped. God, they're trying to say coffin flops not a show, Ben. They're, they're trying to say coffin flops not a show. It's just body after body. They don't got no souls. <laughs> they don't busting I, through I, wood. Sorry, sorry yeah, I gotta can't wait for the new it, season. We gotta keep it all. Can't wait for the new season. So this is yeah, yeah. It's pretty soon now, right? It's like mm-hmm. uh, end of season this month. three's on the way. Uh, so there's definitely a coffin flop situation. According to this story, Poe's corpse is you know. Not going to survive 20 plus years of decay very well. And a worker notices one weird thing in his skull. He says there's a mass rolling inside. Newspapers claim the clump was Poe's brain. That's it rude. Would, it was shriveled, <laughs> but still around after three decades in the dirt. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, wouldn't, it, no. wouldn't it decay the same it as the other parts nothing, of the body? It would rot to nothing, to squish, to goo. As be so gone. as no. Yeah, the the human brain is one of the first components to rot uh, completely after death. Because it's soft and wet, right? I mean, those those parts go away quick. Yeah, yeah. So there's what, what guy- newspaper of note was printing this? <laughs> right. That's what I want to know. Right, the Brain Pan Quarterly. Uh, fake news, I say. Fake news. Agreed. So say well, we all. But something was found, right, inside his skull. We don't have it. We okay. don't know. It would change the conversation if that someone had physical possession of that mass, but apparently this worker didn't have the juice or the inclination to say, hang on, before we honor this great writer, let me get my fingers up at this cranium. I, I feel like I can dig something out of here. Respectfully, guys, respectfully. Is, is the idea that it was maybe, okay, we know it wasn't this shriveled brain, but like, a tumor is also made of tissue. It's just malignant tissue that grows out of control. It's not like special or, you know, lasts longer or something, right? Right. Yeah. So this is where a novelist named Matthew Pearl comes into play. Matthew Pearl is writing a novel about Poe. He gets really interested in this aspect and he speaks to a pathologist. I can't remember the name, but he speaks to this pathologist and he says, well, We know this thing in the skull couldn't have been a brain 30 years later, but could it be a tumor? And the pathologist said, yeah, because under the right circumstances, tumors can calcify to hard masses. Interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. There you go. So that could explain the erratic behavior. That could explain some of the difficulties with cognition. But again, it, it takes a bridge of assumptions to reach that, right? 
Yeah. But it's like the movie Phenomenon, but in the opposite direction. Instead of (laughs) miracles, he's writing poetry. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like... Travolta's Phenomenon. No, no, Phenomenon. Not to be confused. There's another movie with a similar title. Also, like, Phenomenon and... Powder came yeah. out at the same time, and they mm-hmm. were very similar plots. But one of them uh, was written by a pedophile, and the other yeah, one has John, has John Travolta in it. Um, oh, so, but uh, yeah, the, the powder guy who also did the Jeepers Creepers movies, right. his name is escaping me. Uh, convicted, is it, is it convicted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, sorry, Jeez, a thing. That's why we can't have nice things. Um, uh, but, John Travolta also has a litany of sexual assault accusations. Allegations. Oh, That's very true. Oh, very true. Oh, yeah, just yeah. don't 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 meet your hero. If <laughs> okay, uh, anyway, um, my question to you, Ben, though, is uh, or to, to to both of you fellas is: Can't brain lesions form over time and even perhaps be responsible for weird directions and creativity? Uh, it can. Uh, it it can happen, but it's a lot like it, it's like winning a lottery. Uh, because you can you can read cases where someone has received an injury and it, like the most extreme comic book version of it would be called acquired savant syndrome. If you've heard of that, someone has a really profound injury and all of a sudden they emerge from this traumatic brain injury or this illness with a weird newfound skill. Like they now I'm an amazing painter or now, holy crap, I can play the glockenspiel like nobody's business. Now, uh, it, it is rare. Uh, I guess we should say those people still don't necessarily have the best lives because it, a traumatic brain injury comes with a lot of, you know, trauma on the side. But it's possible then with that, I like that line of thought. It's possible that maybe there was some kind of, brain lesion driving his obsession with letters that developed over time, maybe? Yeah, but I, just asking questions. It's a great question. You know, this is a conjecture type of episode, which, um, speaking of that, let's move on to another option um, that uh, is certainly something that can cause erratic behavior and deteriorating physical health. Uh, you guys ever had a rabies shot? Don't, do, you, do you get it in advance? Or do you get it like after you've maybe been bitten? I forget. You get it in advance. I think it's a it's it's an inoculation, right? Uh huh. It's MMR. a vaccine. Yeah. No, that's rubella. My, my mom's bees is, is rabies like a? It's an early one you get. I think because we obviously can can cure it with a vaccine. But back in these days, it was maybe something that would be a little more nefarious. Something people could uh, potentially die from because of lack lack of uh, medical science. You know, having a, a way to cure it. Well, the symptoms of rabies were certainly uh, close, at least, in resemblance to what Edgar Allan Poe was going through or reported to be going through just before he died, right? Yeah, and here here is a, another tale. This is pretty fascinating. So it's 1996. There's this cardiologist in Maryland named R. Michael Benitez, and Benitez goes to a conference where he and fellow pathologists play some reindeer games. Pathology, uh, the games that pathologists play, aside from sounding like an off-Broadway production, is a, um, it's really interesting. They're each, they're given a mystery, and the mystery is a list of symptoms 
from an anonymous patient with a pseudonym, often initials, and then based on the symptoms and some contemporary reports, these pathologists attempt to make a diagnosis. So Doc Benitez reads about this mystery patient and he's ticking the boxes off in his head and he goes, I'm certain this is an example of rabies. Imagine his surprise when he learns his anonymous patient, E.P., is Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, his diagnosis is published in the September 1996 issue of the Maryland Medical Journal. And mm, it still has some problems, though. It's still not solved. Like, where are all the wild animals? Why was it? Why didn't it, uh, the medical examiner see a bite on Poe? Right? That's, the, that's the question. I, mean, I could imagine there are, it would have been maybe street dogs, you know, like oh, uh, yeah, dogs. That's a good point. The, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that may have been rabid but i just just to, I, I kind of was just guesstimating but no the rabies vaccine uh was not successfully uh created until 1885 so we're just before that and it was louis pasteur uh, and his colleagues that um that actually used rabbit spinal cord suspensions that contained uh inactivated rabies into a nine-year-old patient joseph meister um so this definitely would have been you know an issue and there's no uh DNA evidence that the doctor could use. The doctor is very fair about this. He also says there's no evidence of hydrophobia, which is that when people have rabies, especially when you're in the um, fully developed developed stages of it, you are afraid to drink water. But Poe was drinking water up until his death, at least if you can believe his original doctor. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, but the reason um, fans of Poe like this theory is because it is the first time a modern physician was able to look at this case without implicit assumptions based on Poe's identity and all the other public reputation stuff. So we have one, at least one guy looked at it without knowing who, who the story was about, and based on that, they said probably rabies. That's not the most fun one. The most fun one for a lot of people in the crowd today is going to be murder. Murder most foul. I mean, even the rabies one fits. Actually, I mean, I I could see a lot of these having a bit of an allure, you know, to to Poe fans. Just because it's like the guy's writing is severely dark and and damaged you know and it's like you know bordering on the obsessive psychotic and like of course writers don't actually have to live the lives that they write about or, or have their minds don't necessarily exist in a constant state of darkness you know it's like a thing a, a switch you can flip like you're you're writing pretend you know but there's a reputation. A lot of it, as we've discovered, uh, sort of falsely, you know, put out there of Poe being this kind of damaged, you know, Looney Tune. So a lot of this stuff really kind of tracks. Um, but murder would obviously be the cherry on top. You know, the guy wrote about murder all the time. People getting killed in elaborate and uh, punitive ways. Oh, and I've got to correct myself. This is the Sarah story, not the, um, I, I was confused when I was thinking about that girl he wanted to marry who was already engaged when he came back to Richmond. This story comes from an author named John Evangelist Walsh. In 2000, 
John writes a book called Midnight Dreary, The Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe, and proposes that Poe was murdered because his first wife died in 1847, and he wanted to, he became engaged to the lady who would have been his second wife, her name, Sarah Elmira Shelton, and that her three brothers were very much against it and threatened him. Uh, and the theory is they waylaid him in Philly. Let me know what you think about this. They waylaid him in Philly. They scared him so much that he disguised himself, apparently, by wearing different clothes and hid out for a week before he was heading back to Mary Shelton. And the brothers found him in Baltimore. They beat him. They forced him to drink, knowing of his allergy to the stuff, and they left him for dead. This theory is generally considered more a thought experiment because that's a crappy disguise, right? That's like Clark Kent level disguise. You with the straw hat, have you seen a big headed man who looks like he's aiming to marry our sister? You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I just want to put this out. I think I could understand why maybe the family of Miss Royster Shelton, uh, the Sarah person, why they might be upset because similar to his 13 year old cousin, uh, apparently Poe started hanging out with Sarah when she was 15, which is a little older. And especially at that time, like depending on where you were, it was a little more accepted to be around 15 years old to begin a courtship. Right. But still maybe it, it didn't go well. That was back when he was going to the university of Virginia. That's when he met uh, Sarah when she was much younger. And apparently the father of Sarah is the reason why they weren't together anymore. So he was already like, uh, I don't like this Poe character. No. Sorry, That's Sarah. Right. No. They were engaged in two different occasions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can imagine yeah. why the family is like, no, nah, not this guy. Not this guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he died just 10 days before the wedding date. And, uh, and I think at that point, Sarah Elmira Royster, Shelton now, I think at that point, her husband had died yeah she was already widowed and she had a she lot was of money mm. so i don't know man they're like oh poe's trying to come in and get our money now because it's our family's money now in some respects that's mm. they definitely have motive i think that's a really good point yeah they definitely have motive but all we can say is that none of the brother shelton or the uh royster clan were ever prosecuted for a crime. They were never questioned. They were certainly never arrested. So again, almost 200 years later, the question remains, will the case ever be solved? Folks, here's the kicker. Probably not. It's not looking good. There's just too many mysterious aspects, too many missing pieces. The medical records disappeared if they ever really existed. The doctor responsible for determining the cause of death changed his story multiple times over the years. John Joseph Moran, M-O-R-A-N, who was the last person to hang out with Poe as far as we know, he also made a buck talking about it for the rest of his life. And his story evolved multiple times over the years. The one thing that stood out to me a lot was, um, okay, changes dates, which you could get, you know, as you wax on in the years, you might remember things with, it gets a little hazy, you know, was that, was that October 9th or October 10th? Totally understand that. Uh, sometimes he said, 
Poe arrived at the hospital on October 3rd at 5, sometimes the next day at 9 p.m., and then sometimes, he said, he arrived at October 7th at 10 o'clock in the afternoon, whatever the hell that means. 10 o'clock in the afternoon, I arrive places at that time all the time. What, what do you live in Seuss world? What kind of magic Harry Potter stuff is this? <laughs> but yeah, 10 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, maybe I'm just, maybe we just don't know, you know, the, um, the idioms of the day or whatever. Right? If it was uh, afternoon and it was 10 o'clock, that would be 10 p.m. You're right. You're right. I'm being unfair. <laughs> I'm, no, being my, unf- I'm confused by it too, Ben. I'm just saying. I, I don't no, know. you're right, though. It's technically it's afternoon. <laughs> it is afternoon. He just had he just had one of those weird, technically the truth kind of <laughs> understandings of the world. It was 11:58 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. So okay. Anyway, he did. This doctor did seem to keep changing, rewriting the story up until he himself died in 1885. He was 65 years old. At this point, no one can find Edgar Allan Poe's death certificate. We just have accounts about what it said. And most people, most of us are still laboring under the poison spread by that old enemy, Wilmot Griswold, who conspired against him so effectively. This is a conspiracy that worked. Um, Unless you are a person who has insider information, unless you're maybe that mysterious Poe toaster. Let's end it there. What is the Poe toaster? That set us on this weird journey. It's a novelty toaster in the shape of Edgar Allan Poe's head. Yep, that's it. That's all you need to know. No, it's a mysterious group of people that toast the grave of Edgar Allan Poe, and nobody really knows who they are, right? Yeah, they used to. They stopped recently, I think. Uh, but they would go up the... Yeah, they would. they would show up an anniversary and they would toast to him and generally the people who watched this happen were very respectful it just became a cool tradition i think only a few times did someone try to figure out the identity of this person it appeared to be a male at least the first one they might have passed it down to their children but if you were the po toaster let us know uh let us know also what you think about these theories it really is unsolved maybe there's a piece of evidence out there that can prove which of these conspiracies is true um and then yeah let us know your favorite creepy po facts yes please Oh, yes. By all means, let us know. You can find us on the Internet uh, where we are Conspiracy Stuff on YouTube, Twitter and Facebook. Or we also have our Here's Where It Gets Crazy Facebook group on Instagram and TikTok. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you'd like to give us a call, our number is one eight three three stdwytk It's a voicemail system. When you call in, please leave your name in a cool nickname kind of fashion, not your real name. You've got three minutes. Say whatever you'd like. If you'd like to say more than that, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 